You're listening to Irish Radio Candidate on the road, and we heard there from Shannon Smurfini giving us an overview of what the Thomas Darcy McGee Summer School is all about and what the focus is this year. And it's looking to the next 25 years, building on the Good Friday Agreement and uh, some of the relevant topics that are affect uh, and will affect the future, which includes things like artificial intelligence, social media, um, climate change, globalization, things like that. I'm delighted to be reconnecting with Tommy Sands. Tommy and I, uh, it must be about 10 to 12 years ago since we had the opportunity to chat when Tommy was in Ottawa uh, with his family and performed there. And Tommy is moderating a uh, segment uh, on Tuesday. (laughs) The summer school runs the 15th and uh, 16th. And uh, Tommy is moderating on the 15th. Tommy, delighted to reconnect. Thank you very much, and uh, good to see you again and talk to you again, Austin. Your involvement here, you're getting involved, you're right up, you're, you're the one that has to keep the peace. Yes, well, you know, I, I suppose I'm looking, at the, I'm looking at the situation from a cultural point of view and uh, looking at, uh, I suppose, two separate cultures in a sense. Uh, of course, there's so many things we share, you know, uh, between... Uh, nationalist and unionist people or Protestant, Catholic, whatever particular hat you want to put on it. Uh, but I suppose I'm looking at how sometimes in the past our culture ha- uh, has acted as a blockage towards uh, coming together. And I'm looking at the possibility how they can be building blocks for the future uh, and looking at the uh, what we have in common, actually, and we've got an awful lot in common. Uh, the, the, the people involved uh, on the session that I'm moderating will be uh, coming from different backgrounds. Well, they're, they're coming from a unionist background. Uh, James Donaldson would be a brother of Jeffrey or Sir Jeffrey, as he is these days. And uh, Roberta, they play Lambag and Fife. And uh, the, the other two people are Linda and Brian Irvine, very interesting people also. Uh, Brian would be a brother of David Irvine, you might remember. And uh, David is a very good friend, actually. And uh, I had David on several programs. Uh, in fact, he used to join me on stage sometimes. He's a very good singer. And he would sing songs written by his brother, Brian. Uh, now, there'd be songs from... Uh, normal actually working class background in, in Belfast uh, L- Linda Irvine is she is a bit of a, a revolutionary in the sense that she has opened up a school in East Belfast which would be a unionist dominated place uh, teaching Irish teaching the Irish language and this is very new in a sense, although, of course, Presbyterians had a, a great deal to do with uh, supporting Irish language down through the years. But in recent times, uh, you know, that has become a, a blockage, actually, because uh, Sinn Féin were wanting an, uh, the Irish Language Act, which is actually in keeping with the UK, actually, the Irish Language Act, uh, but uh, many unionists saw that as somehow uh, 
moving over towards an Irish situation and undermining their situation. So uh, Brian is also a playwright, uh, very much influenced by Sean O'Casey. Uh, working class people, uh, their feelings and so on. So I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, the Fife and Drum, the Fife and Lambeg, very much associated with, uh, I suppose, loyalism, uh, with the uh, 12th of July and so on. But I think sometimes we, we forget how important that music and marching bands are to the unionist tradition and population. And I suppose, in a sense, the 12th of July is a little bit like a flag coal for those people. Uh, of course, as music often is used in all sorts of directions, but uh, it does an awful lot for uh, to keep uh, young people with something to do, uh, something positive to do. And uh, so we're looking at all those things and trying to uh, see whether where we can all come together and uh, share things. Tommy, from your experience in dealing with particularly music and culture, uh, is it the case where we as humans can often choose to misuse what is the richness of other, of our, uh, misuse our own culture at the expense of other cultures in order to maintain a position? Yes, I think music is a little bit like a hand or a fist. You can strike with it or reach out and embrace with it. And I think at this particular time, with uh, changes in demographics, uh, where unionists are no longer in the majority, uh, the whole identity question is coming up. And uh, I suppose we have to look at what is identity uh, exactly? Uh, what is what are the essential things that give you or me what we are, uh, what we feel we are? And it, it is it's a big issue and a big question. And I think, of course, you're right. It has been used. I was at a very interesting conference some years ago where, you know, you and I, many people, intuitively know that music affects people. It changes people. Uh, back in the time of Pythagoras, uh, he regarded music as, in fact, he would send for the musician before the physician in order to create the right atmosphere that the the patient would be calm enough and so on. Uh, and music was kind of used very much beyond pure entertainment. Uh, it was used uh, like a, a healing power or a medicine. Uh, and as I say, we know this. During the Enlightenment period, uh, 17th century and around that time, when people were looking for scientific a scientific basis for uh, uh, everything uh, and anything that didn't have a rational basis was sort of thrown out uh, like religion like music 
and uh, it has dropped down to just pure entertainment to escape from reality. But at this conference, I was at actually in a place called Notre Dame or Notre Dame, as the French would call it, my wife's French, and she would call it that, the University in Indiana, a great man called John Paul Lederick, gathered together 12 uh, artists, writers, and two neuroscientists. And they were able to measure the physiological changes that take place in the brain when an act of art is performed in a certain context. The, the endorphins, the oxytocin created, Oxytocin is a bonding thing. So in a music session, uh, and you see it so much in Irish music, it bonds the players together and the listeners and the participants together in a bond. Uh, If there's too much in a certain direction, it tends to make you almost suspicious of the other crowd who are not in the group. So (laughs) in a sense... We've experienced a lot of that in the conflict of orange and green. And both, there is a place for music in both camps. But we have to find a music that will not uh, close out the other side, but is respectful also of the other side. And in a sense, we have an event called The Music of Healing each year, based on a song written by Pete Seeger and myself some years ago, where we're looking how music can create an atmosphere of neighborliness where people from different backgrounds, paramilitaries, uh, rival politicians, rival religions, can more easily find a higher quality of disagreement. Uh, We know... (laughs) Before it starts, there's going to be disagreement. And at the end, there's going to be disagreement because people have their own uh, certain mindsets and so on and beliefs. And uh, But to find a higher quality where we can explore further understanding and better sense of sharing a space together. So in a way, uh, sorry, it's a bit long-winded what I'm saying, but that's the kind of the basis of what we're looking at. So far from being long-winded, in fact, you know, as you were speaking, the, the richness that is there in what can be achieved, and as you point out as well, that it can equally be as divisive because it can be cured, it can be uh, pointed in such a way as to be divisive um, and used as a weapon as, as much as used as a tool for reconciliation. Exactly. Well, you know, during the Good Friday Agreement, uh, when the talks were faltering, uh, the politicians were very nervous. There were, it was a little bit like two buses meeting on a narrow bridge and now the driver wanted to give way because he didn't want to let on his passengers. And uh, the TV went to view an everyone who disagreed with the talks. The politicians were under a lot of pressure. So I grew up in a family where there was always music and neighbours came in at night uh, from the Protestant background as well as Catholic background. There was much of a Scottish snap as an Irish lilt in the tunes being played. And uh, so we gathered some musicians together from both sides, Lambeg drums, uh, Elliot Packs, and of course, I mean, all these instruments, basically, instruments belong to everybody. Uh, but 
we we started to play outside the talks, and the the unions politicians heard the lambeg drum, and they thought, well, there's something okay there, and the nationalists heard Jen Whistle and Boron, and they came out and started to sing with us. And I had written a song. I knew we would get maybe five seconds on the six o'clock news. And uh, it's a very simple song, a song with a very simple chorus, that people could agree publicly without losing face. And uh, everybody wanted the talks to continue. It went, carry on, carry on. You can hear the people singing. Carry on, carry on, till peace will come again. So everybody could sing that, and everybody did sing it. But Gusty Spence, one of the loyalist leaders, was one of the first to start singing. And uh, everybody joined in, and I think something happened in that situation. Uh, at least it may have added Tuppence Hepney towards uh, the confidence uh, that people were behind what they were trying to do with that uh, I mean, we're going to have to wrap up, but uh, I do appreciate you taking the time, and we're going to share a little bit of Devil Roses, which is a powerful, powerful piece of music that you have uh, written, and uh, that always uh, resonates, uh, that um, pain exists equally no matter which side of a divide you're on. Loss can exist equally no matter which side of the divide you're on. Um, exactly. And it can take sometimes that pain and that loss to try to bring people together. Again, the Thomas Darcy McGill Summer School is the 15th, 16th of August in Carlingford. And if you do a search on Google for the Thomas Darcy McGee Summer School 2023, you get all the coordinates. And as we heard from Shannon Murphy, there, uh, if they run out of seats, they'll just go and get more. So you will, <laughs> there will be enough accommodation. If you haven't already registered, Tommy Sands, Gurumida Minamagas. Thank you very much indeed, Austin. Lovely to talk to you again. Gary Magas.